Well, good morning, church. Nice to see you all. My name is Darren, and I also am one of the shepherds on staff. And it's uh, both a privilege to be connected with those of you who are watching us on YouTube or FullertonFree.tv or the live stream or whatever. We're happy that you're connected with us at home. And we're also happy to have a, a good number of people here in the room today as... Uh, as things have gotten a little bit uh, safer, you know, the hospital beds are a little more available and whatever. It's, it's been nice to be able to uh, expand the number of people we can have right here in the room and to do that in a way that is uh, good for everybody. So we're happy to be connected in a couple of different ways. And I will say this, uh, we're starting a new series today. So that's kind of fun too. It's a brand new kickoff. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is a great week to jump in because we're beginning a series called Spring Training today. And uh, you should not miss your notice that spring tr- baseball season starts in April, but spring training with baseball starts this week on the 17th. Some of you don't care. That's when the pitchers and the catchers are called in. And then later on the rest of the, you got, I won't, I won't bore you with it, but I'm excited about it, right? Well, whatever. So, uh, I guess many of you are angels fans and I can see why that might not be something you look forward to over here. Um, but when we talk about spring training for us, essentially this series over the next seven weeks, as we, as we march towards Easter, the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. And when we talk about spiritual disciplines, I know that there can be some misconception. There can be a little bit of confusion. And so I want to give you a little bit of a, a framework for where the series is going and even what we mean by some of these terms. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, essentially what we're talking about is an opportunity to practice, prepare, grow, and to habituate activities that draw us closer to God and make us more like him in our interactions with others, right? So we're talking about practices and rhythms that will both draw us closer to God, grow us in our understanding of who God is, but also transform us to be more like him in our interactions with other people, which, as we've said over and over and over, the idea of being a disciple or a follower of Christ is about glorifying God as we come to know him more and about serving the good of other people. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, this is what we mean. Now, I want to ask a question here as we begin. Uh, I'm interested to know, even in the room, how many of you in the room this morning own a pair of running or jogging shoes? Just put your hand up. You own running. Okay. Now keep your hands up. If you ran in those this week. Yeah, that's pretty much. Okay. There's a couple. That's pretty good. percent. I think we're better than the national average. Okay. Let me ask it another way. We'll do another poll here. How many of you own a piece of expensive fitness equipment, right? Like a Stairmaster or a rowing machine. Let me see those hands, right? You bought something like that. And how many of you use that this week for exercise? All right, not too bad. Okay, so the stats will typically say that 87, between 87 and 90% of Americans own a pair of running shoes that they never run in, right? We own them because at some point you thought, I should do this. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to exercise. It'll be better for my mind. It'll be better for my body. It'll be better for me all the way around. So you go out and you buy the jogging shoes or you buy the Stairmaster or the rowing machine or whatever it is. And then over time, what ends up happening is that whatever that piece of your exercise equipment is, it ends up just being a great place to sort of hang things to dry, right? Your towel goes in it after the shower or whatever, and you sort of just leave it there, uh, sort of loosely draped with clothing in your bedroom or wherever else you placed it. Many of us, have that same kind of intentionality when it comes to spiritual disciplines. We know we have access to things like prayer and community and listening to God. We know we have access to things like fasting and and some of these other sort of uh, historic rhythms of the followers of God. We know we have access to them and we like the fact that we have access to them. And at different seasons in our lives, we felt a sense of like drive or passion or excitement to engage with these activities. And yet over time, we find ourselves knowing that we have them, but not necessarily utilizing them. 
In 1 Timothy 4, chapter, uh, or chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, which we read just a second ago, Paul says this, and it's actually really similar to what we saw in Titus in our study last week at the end of Titus. But here with a similar sentiment, he says, don't let yourself get distracted by uh, irreverent, silly myths. But here's the alternative, right? He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The word uh, there originally is the same word for, the word for training here is the same word we use to get our idea of the gymnasium. It actually means exercise naked. Now, I'm not going to get into too much detail on that because I'm not advocating that. But that's what the original word meant, right? It's the idea of training and exercise and, and getting fit. He says, rather than getting bogged down in things that don't matter, train yourself for godliness. Or as we talked about last week, the idea of godliness is the idea both of growing in our knowledge of him, but also growing in our likeness of him and our replication of who he is. He says, train yourself for that. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says something similar. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's this sentiment in the scripture about spiritual training, about spiritual training, about exercising our, our spiritual growth towards godliness for the sake of the glory of God and the good of others. Now, when we talk about, um, when we talk about discipline, even when I say the word disciplines, right, there is a connotation that sort of rears up in our mind. Just using the word discipline, we sort of take that in a negative sense, don't we? You think about disciplines and you think of something like being punished by your parents for not eating all your broccoli or whatever. That's, that's what the word discipline means. And even in our study in Hebrews, if you remember all the way back to that, remember we talked at one point about the fact that God disciplines us as his children. That is a, a sort of a correction or a reproof, right? That kind of discipline. And in Hebrews, it says that we shouldn't let ourselves become embittered by the, by the discipline of God because that's evidence of his love for us. But when we talk about spiritual disciplines in this spring training series, we're not talking about the correction or reproof of God. We're not talking about punishment, we're talking about practices. We're talking about rhythms. There's an intentionality to this practice. When we say disciplines, we're simply talking about historic practices, habits and rhythms found in scripture and utilized by God's followers to promote worship, Christ-likeness, and witness in our lives. Let me say that again. We're not talking about punishment. We're not talking about something negative. We're talking about historic Christian practices, rhythms, and habits that we see both demonstrated in scripture and we also see utilized by God's people throughout the centuries, right? So when we demonstrate and when we engage in spiritual discipline or in these uh, discipleship habits, if you will, we're joining in with a long line of people who were followers of Christ before us. We enter into some of the same rhythms that Christ followers for centuries have engaged in. We find ourselves in that ongoing pattern. So these are rhythms, they're habits, they're practices that we utilize, God's followers utilize, to promote worship. Because the more we engage in these spiritual disciplines, the more our knowledge of God will grow. And as our knowledge of God grows, then our worship of him will grow accordingly, right? The more we see him, the more we will be, will we be drawn to worship him. So spiritual discipline increases our worship. It increases our Christ-likeness in that we become more like him. 
as we get to know him more. And it also improves our witness because as we've talked over the last many weeks, the more we live and talk and serve and love like Jesus, the more we will replicate this sort of unforced appeal that draws other people to the truth of what we believe. We adorn the doctrine of God is what we said again and again in the book of Titus. Well, these spiritual habits or these spiritual practices are things that allow us to become more like him and therefore our witness or our testimony grows accordingly. So as we begin here, let me just uh, lay out a couple of maybe some things for you to remember. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. And these will be true of the entire series. So over the next seven weeks, these are true of spiritual disciplines broadly. The first thing I would want you to understand is that you cannot teach spiritual disciplines out of one text. Right? There, isn't, uh, there isn't one text. In fact, for each one of these habits or these rhythms, there are maybe 40 or 50 texts that we could use. So even this morning, it was hard that the team was saying, well, what, what passage should we read before today's message? And I gave them this passage in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, but that was one of about, well, well, to be totally honest with you, that was one of about 500 texts on our particular subject matter today that I could have chosen. Imagine that. Now, I'm not going to read all of those to you, but 500 texts. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about something obscure or something that's sort of uh, isolated where one person decided to go and do this. We're talking about practices and rhythms that are taught again and again and again, both in the Old Testament and in the new, right? These aren't isolated patterns. They are uh, pervasive, right? So they can't be taught out of one text. Each could be taught from many different texts. Now, when we think about spiritual disciplines, it's important for you to know that some of these are intensely private. Some of them are things you do on your own. And some of them are, are things that you do corporately. And some of them, actually most of them, are both. There are things that can be practiced both in your own life and in the privacy of your own rhythms and home and, and work. And there are also things that can be practiced in togetherness. And we'll see that even in the one we're studying this morning, that it, it has both a, uh, a personal nature and a corporate nature. That's important to hold on to here. It's important for you to understand, and I've already said this, it's important for you to understand that these spiritual disciplines are not only for you, right? They are beneficial for you in that they increase your worship, they make you more Christ-like, but they are also beneficial for others. So when you're thinking about a motivation, right? When you're trying to decide whether or not to practice these disciplines, and our hope, by the way, in the course of this study, we've talked about it again and again as a teaching team, our hope is not that you would come to know what the disciplines are, because many of you already know them. Our hope is that in the coming weeks, you would commit yourself to trying some of these out, right? To re-engaging with some of them that maybe you haven't been practicing. Our hope is not just to tell you about what the disciplines are, but to call you to engage in them. What I want you to understand is that they are... Um, that, that, that it's not just beneficial for you. I could absolutely say that engaging in the spiritual disciplines will be beneficial for you in, in your growth in the knowledge of God and in your conformity to his image. But it's also important to say that we as disciples engage in the spiritual disciplines not only for our own benefit. And in fact, as a disciple, I'm not really, I'm not supposed to be that motivated by my own benefit. What I'm supposed to be motivated by is the good of others and the glory of God. So while they are personally beneficial, that's not the primary motivation. The primary motivation is the glory of God and the good of others, right? So there's no one text. Uh, they are sometimes private, sometimes corporate. They are beneficial for you and for others. <clears throat> it's important for you to know that these are, these are actions, right? Each of these spiritual practices or these habits, they're physical things to do. They're not, uh, they're not philosophical ideas, 
they're not beliefs. You know, you'll hear somebody uh, maybe go, oh, I really love God's word or, oh, I really love prayer. And that can almost be sort of uh, stated without any actual practice of the discipline of prayer or without any actual time spent in God's word. You can sort of objectively from the outside say, well, I really love God's word or I really love prayer without engaging in those things. When we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about appreciating something conceptually. We're talking about doing something. In each of these, we're talking about an action. We're talking about, uh, about an activity or not a character trait or a belief. No matter who you are, and no matter which of these you may already be practicing, no matter who you are, where you find yourself, how old you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, there is always room for growth. There is always room to go wider and deeper in these practices. And that's important to understand because for some of us, you might look at somebody who's, who you would think of as a prayer warrior or somebody that you think of as being incredible in some of these disciplines and you'd go, well, I can never be that. It's important for you to understand that that person that you maybe idolize has room to grow in their discipline of prayer. And that should give you some hope in recognizing that all of us are just in the process of going deeper and wider and longer in each of these disciplines. Even if you're a beginner, even if you've only been following Christ for a short time and you feel like you've got so much catching up to do, there is no catching up to do. It's about a growth in the knowledge of God, a growth in conformity to his image. And each of us needs that. What this also does is it pulls the rug out from underneath of any sense you might have of having mastered any of these. Does that make sense? So if you currently sit back and go, wow, I really need to work on this one, but this one I've got nailed, you've tricked yourself, right? You're fooling yourself. Because all of us, no matter who we are, can grow in the spiritual disciplines. There is no mastery now. There's certainly no mastery overnight. And there will be no mastery in any of these things until we see him as he is, right? And are perfected. As long as we are in these human bodies and living this life before the return of Christ, there will always be room for each of us to grow deeper and further into these spiritual disciplines. And here's a little bit of a warning. With each one of these spiritual disciplines or these habits, they can become routine or rote. They can become mundane to the point where you're doing them out of uh, obligation or maybe you're even doing them out of a sense of habit, but you've lost an appreciation for what they actually are. Think for instance, just a, this is a silly little uh, example, but think about praying for a meal, right? Even the, even the phrase praying for a meal doesn't make a ton of sense. We don't pray for meals, right? Although we sort of think about that. We don't pray for meals. If we pray around the dinner table, we pray what? Out of gratitude for the God who provided the food on the table. But for many of us, uh, a mealtime prayer feels like the thing you do before you taste the food, right? It feels like, well, this is just what good Christians do. We just pray for the food. But we never, we never have, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have poisonous food in your, in your household and you need to pray for it that you don't die, right? But we never really engaged in praying for the food. You see how even that habit of prayer can become routine or it can become mundane. We always have to have our radar up for the ways in which some of these spiritual disciplines become so second nature maybe that we've stopped thinking about why we do them and what the benefit should be and how we can grow further in them. They can become routine and mindless. And so on occasion, they should be changed up. And this might rattle you a little bit, but I would suggest that if you've been doing some of these practices that we're going to talk about in the next seven weeks, if you've been doing some of them the same way for the last 25 years, 
This might be a season for you to go, I'm going to chase after the same things, but I'm going to chase them in a different way so that they do not become mindless and routine for me. Does that make sense? That you change it up a little bit to keep it fresh, just like you would with an exercise routine. The next thing I would say is that each one of these require intentionality. They require effort for everyone, right? Uh, It can sometimes be easy to look at other people and go, oh man, they are so good at this, or I just love it when this person prays, or I just love it when this person reads the Bible. And you can look at other people and it just feels like it comes so effortlessly for them. I feel that way every time I see somebody jogging, right? Every time I see somebody jogging on the side of the road, I think, why can't I do that? Because every time I try to jog, I want to die, right? I don't, I, it's not, I don't want to live anymore. I, want, I just want to be finished with it, right? And I see people who do it and you talk to runners and they're like, no, you just got to push through. You push through the pain and pretty soon you get to this euphoric place. I can tell you I've never gotten to the euphoric place and so maybe I just haven't tried it hard enough. But it's easy to look and go, well, I just can't do some of these, right? There are some people who are really good at it and some people who are not. I want you to understand that just like with any exercise, physical exercise, that each of these disciplines takes intentionality. It takes effort on the part of everyone that you see, no matter where they are on the spectrum of the practice, whether they've been praying or serving or showing hospitality for years, or they've only been doing it for the last couple of months, it takes, it takes effort and it must be empowered by the spirit. So we talk about that in this church a lot too, that, that you and I are not the little engine that could, that you and I are not people who just sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we all sort of put a hand in and we go, okay, we're going to start doing all the spiritual disciplines and we just do it by our own strength of character, our own strength of will. That isn't how these things work. There does have to be an intentionality and a purpose behind these disciplines, but they must be empowered by the Spirit of God or there's, it's kind of like taking the battery out of something, right? If there's no battery, the thing's not going to run, even if that's the function of it, right? The battery for us, the fuel source, is the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's important. Okay, the last thing I would want you to understand about these spiritual disciplines before we go a little bit further is that they aren't a measure among Christians, They aren't a measure among Christians. So the spiritual disciplines were never meant to be a way in which we compare ourselves to other people. They were never meant to be an opportunity for us to look left and right and go, you know what, I'm a better Christian than these people or those people because look how much I pray or look how much I give or look how much time I spend in Sabbath rest or look how much time I spend fasting. They were never meant to be a, a source of comparison and yet they can very quickly sort of devolve into that. They can very quickly become a measure by which we compare ourselves with others, either for the bad or the good. You have to throw that away. Because again, as I've already said, it's all the power of the Spirit, and it's all about practice and intentionality. Everybody has room to grow. They were never meant to be a measure among Christians. They were also never meant to be a condition for God's love. They are not a condition for God's love. So let me say this as clearly as possible. We're going to talk about these practices and these disciplines, and some of you I'm praying that all of you will try these on a little bit and you might find some of them more difficult to get into a rhythm of. Can I tell you, you should never, ever feel like your, uh, uh, the affection from God for you changes one whit because of your practice of the disciplines. The love of God for you and for me exists entirely independent of our striving and our effort and our practice. The love of God is based upon his grace and mercy and goodness and has nothing to do with our success or failure. You've got to turn loose of that. Can turn loose of the measurement with other people. Turn loose of the measurement of God's love. And it's also important to understand as we're thinking about measures. That none of the spiritual disciplines are an end in themselves. 
None of the spiritual disciplines are an end in themselves. So there's never a point where you go, well, why should I pray? Or why should I fast? Or why should I give? Well, you should do those things because that's just what good Christians do, right? No, no, no. We don't pray because somebody before us said pray and then somebody before them said pray. They're none of them an end in themselves. They are all serving a greater purpose, which is what? Growth in the knowledge of God, an increase of his glory, a transformation of us to be more like him, and the spread of our witness as we conform to his image and adorn the doctrine of God, right? So it's not meant to be a measuring tool for us across the board. It's not meant to be a gauge for, our, for, for the love of God that we receive. It certainly isn't that. And it also isn't an end in itself. These disciplines grow us in the knowledge of God. They transform us from the inside out and they transform our witness in the community in which we live. Okay, those are some prerequisites. One, one last little thing to tell you about the spiritual disciplines before we dive into the one we have for today. The last thing I want you to understand is that the practice of these habits or these rhythms or these disciplines presumes a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It presumes a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So for instance, if we go to the verse we looked at last week in Titus, in Titus 3, 8, He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Well, part of the good works that he's talking about here is the practice of these spiritual rhythms we see laid out in all the Bible. But note that he doesn't uh, doesn't insist upon these practices for those who have not believed. It's for those who believed to understand who God is and then become devoted to this training or, or this dedication. So, so here's the point of that. If you're sitting here this morning or if you're watching online and you're still trying to figure Jesus out, right? You're trying to decide if you believe that he's the son of God. You're trying to figure out whether or not you believe he rose from the dead. You're trying to believe whether the Bible is true. You're trying to recognize whether you have come to the place that you've acknowledged your own brokenness, your own spiritual bankruptcy, that you're currently separated from God and you need a savior and a rescue from that sin and death. If you're still in a place where you are spiritually separated from God by your own sin and you have not put your faith in Christ, you shouldn't worry about these spiritual disciplines, right? Don't worry about that. Spend some time looking at Jesus. Let's have a conversation about why we're followers of Christ. Let's have a conversation about why we need to be rescued and redeemed. We can talk about all those other things in Titus 3 we looked at last week. But these spiritual disciplines presume a saving faith in Christ. They they presume a belief. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe you tuned in this morning or maybe you came in this morning because you're interested in discovering what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be saved from sin and death. Well, we'd love to have that conversation with you. And once you've put your faith in Christ, then there is a devotion to a different kind of life. But we don't do these things to earn God's favor. We certainly don't do these things to earn redemption or salvation or adoption or any of those things. Those things are given to us by the grace of God freely and at no cost to us. But in response to his gift, then we live a different kind of a life. So you see, there are all kinds of different levels here. It's easy, I think, in the spiritual disciplines to start to feel guilty or to feel ashamed, to feel a little bogged down in comparing yourself with other people, feel bogged down in, in what other people might think. I was, um, I just recently in the last month or so have been going through, like all of you, a lot of discouragement and a lot of sadness. And I'm, I'm having, I was having sort of a hard time figuring out how to break out of that. And somebody said, you know, you probably should spend more time outside. I read a study that said all of us spend too much time indoors and we should get outside. So I started walking regularly and I used to do that a long time ago, but I hadn't been walking recently. So 
I started walking and this week I was talking with our, uh, what's called our LQ team here at Fullerton Free. That's kind of the, the lead shepherds in each one of the different ministry areas. And I was telling them, I said, yeah, I've been, I've been uh, walking regularly during the week. I've been walking from my house, which is right up here by where the church property is. I've been walking from my house a couple times a week, all the way to downtown Fullerton in early in the morning, just, just to get some fresh air, get a cup of coffee, whatever. And it's been so nice to kind of focus on Jesus and clear my thoughts and just, you know, kind of relax. And, uh, and the team was very supportive. You know, they're like, wow, that's kind of a long walk from your house at the church all the way down to downtown Fullerton. That's a, that's a pretty decent climb, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's uh, it's been really great. It's actually not that bad, you know? And, and they said it. So then you get down there and you have a cup of coffee and then you, and then you're walking back up Brea Boulevard, back up the hill. And I said, well, yeah, no, I, my wife comes to pick me up in downtown Fullerton. I walk, I walk down there, I walk down the hill, and then she picks me up after I have my coffee. And they went, you're doing half a walk, right? You're doing half. And all of a sudden, I got a lot of grief from the team because they, they perceived me as doing only half a walk. I will tell you, a half a walk at this stage of my life is better than no walk. You know what I'm saying? And it would be very easy for me to go, well, because I'm only doing half the walk, I'm not going to do anything. Or because I'm not doing it every day, or because I'm not ready to enter into a marathon, I'm not going to do anything. It can be easy to get in that mindset when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Because my spiritual disciplines don't look like somebody else's, or because somebody gives me a hard time about my practice or whatever, I'm just going to scrap it. No, the, the call is for us to continue to engage. So that, that's what we mean when we talk about spring training, we talk about these disciplines. And now that I've sort of laid that foundation, we're about halfway through, I want to talk about the first one of these disciplines. By the way, when you look at lists of historic spiritual disciplines, you will see them organized a ton of different ways. Some people have boiled all the spiritual disciplines down into like four main headings, right? Some people have broadened it out. I've seen lists of 25 or 30 spiritual disciplines or habits. Um, what we're going to do in our next seven weeks, including this one, is we're going to use some broad headings that, that sort of encompass several sort of smaller practices. My broad heading for this morning is, I think, the most important and the, the place where we have to start, and that is with listening. With listening. The first discipline that I would love for you to consider and to think about how you engage with is the idea of listening, which includes practices like Bible study, meditation, learning, and prayer, which we'll talk about next week. In John chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, he's in a conversation with some people who are frustrated with him, but he says something really important there. He says, if you're a follower of God, you hear his voice. There are all kinds of places where Jesus talks about the sheep hearing his voice and knowing his voice. It's important for us, if we believed in Christ, to train ourselves and to practice the discipline of hearing God's voice. All throughout the Bible, there are, as I said already, there are, uh, there are seven, over 700 references in the scriptures to the idea of listening or of hearing. And 500 of those are calls to actively hear God's voice. 500 places. 500 places where God looks at his people and says, hear me, hear, O Israel, listen to your God. Even at the baptism of Jesus, what is it that God the Father says? This is my son. Listen to him, right? Listen to him. Uh, that, now that I say the baptism, that might've been at the transfiguration. Sorry, that was off the top of my head. I'll double check my work. The idea here is that God wants us to listen to him. Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. This is just one example. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. 
I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I'm bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. All throughout scripture, we see God saying, listen to me, hear me. And there are dire consequences for his people when he says, stand at the crossroads and watch for me. And they go, no, we won't. When God says, listen to the trumpet and the people say, we don't want to hear it. There are dire consequences from failing to listen to what God has to say. God speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit in our inner being. He speaks to us through our circumstances and experiences. And he speaks to us through one another. And we have to train ourselves and discipline ourselves to hear his voice. Uh, my wife and I, for the first two years that we knew each other, I met her in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. And then she was living in Nevada and I was living in Phoenix. And so we lived in different places for the first two years we knew each other. Uh, and, and that was before long distance was cheap or free. And so we wrote letters, right? We wrote letters. This is a good Valentine's Day story. My wife and I wrote letters almost every day for two years. And in my garage at my house up the street, I have a box full of these letter exchanges. And I can tell you that there was never a time that I got one of those letters and I threw it onto the side table, right? There was never a time that I got one of those letters from this girl that I was falling in love with and I handed it to somebody else and said, hey, can you read this for me and just kind of give me a summary of what she had to say. Tell me if there's anything important in there, right? I never gave that letter to someone else and said, hey, what do you think she means by this? No, I took those letters, right? And I devoured those letters. I chewed on those letters. I memorized those letters. I absorbed myself in those letters. And then I very carefully wrote response letters back to her. There was a dialogue that happened and I was hungry to hear from her because she had taken the time to put herself on a written page, right? I fell in love with this girl, not by being in close proximity to her. I fell in love with her and we were hundreds of miles apart because I listened to what she said with her pen, The God of the universe in giving us his word has written to us of who he is and who he created us to be. God's word is essentially a love letter to us. And how often do we throw it to the side stand? Or how often are we satisfied to go, hey, why don't you read that and just tell me what he meant? Or tell me what you think that means. Tell me what God had to say. Can you just give me sort of a quick summary of what the God of the universe happened to say? Think about the ways in which we sort of boil down the revelation of God through his inspired word to something we could sort of take or leave. It's incredible that the God of the universe, the one who created our eyelashes and our elbows, that this God articulated something to us. Think about trying to communicate something to ants in your garden, right? How, how would you even go about doing that? It's, there's an impossible, you can't, I've, I've tried to dissuade them from being in the garden or more like I've tried to dissuade them from being on the kitchen counter, right? With poison. That's not the way. I've tried to dissuade ants and there is no ability to co- communicate. Imagine the gap between the creator of the universe and created beings like you and I. And yet God found a way to take his heart and his thoughts and his intention and his purposes and his love for us and to put it into a, into a book, into these letters, into this inspired word that we can comprehend. The fact that we can comprehend anything about God is stunning. And yet we treat his word like junk mail most of the time. Something to be 
picked up occasionally or whatever. I, I think when we talk about listening to God, there are a lot of ways that he speaks through his word, through his spirit within us, through our circumstances, through other people. But, but it is so important to be hungry to hear what he has to say. Proverbs chapter two, verse one says this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. You hear the intentionality of that? Inclining your ear. Making your ear attentive to wisdom. Inclining your heart. He says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. When's the last time you inclined your ear to the voice of God or you turned your heart toward him? When you chased after what God wanted to say to you like you would chase after treasure that was hidden. When's the last time you thought of it like that? I will tell you that the letters my wife wrote me from Nevada when we were first dating... They felt like treasure. That's why they're still in a box in my house and they haven't been thrown away. They still feel like treasure. He says, my son, listen to my voice this way. Receive my words, treasure up my commandments within you. There is a call for us to listen and that requires a recognition that we need his voice. When we talk about the spiritual discipline of listening, the first step is recognizing that you need to hear what he has to say. And sometimes for us, that's hard because we've convinced ourselves that we're competent and that we have everything we need, that we're smart enough and we're good enough and people like us and whatever. We, we've sort of found our own satisfaction in what we think and what we know. In order to be hungry for God's words and to seek after them like treasure, to listen to him that way, we have to first go, I I'm broken and I'm lost and I don't know everything and I get a lot of things wrong and I make mistakes and I don't, I don't know how to organize the world or to understand what's happening around me. There is first a recognition of something lacking in us that makes us hungry for the guidance and the voice of our maker. In, in Proverbs, it says we should be hungry for it like treasure. We should be seeking after it like treasure. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What that says there is that God speaks in his word for our equipping, for our good for our transformation, that that is why he has revealed himself. That isn't just something that happens accidentally. That's why he has spoken to us. That we would have everything we need. We have to listen. We have to seek after him. And I think scripture is the, is the best in the first place to start. So I want to just give you sort of five, and these sort of flow in, in an order. When we talk about hearing God's word, specifically with regard to, to the scriptures, hearing what God has to say, I think we start with intake, right? So, so point one here would be, read it. And I get that some of you might not know how to read. If you're little and you're watching this, you might not be great at reading yet. You might have a, a, a disability that makes it impossible for you to read. When I say intake, I don't mean you have to be able to read. There's all kinds of resources now where other people can read it. B books on tape, audiobooks, video series. There are all kinds of ways to take in what God has said. Right? You can get the Bible on your phone, you can get it on your iPad, you can get it on your computer, you can get it, you can actually get one made out of paper that has like a leather binding. You gotta go to an antique store or something to find one of those, right? But the first thing is simply to take it in, to hear it, to listen to it. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
uh, in Psalm 119.105, famously, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus himself said in Matthew 4.4, he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we should see that as nourishment. So we have to take it in. And it doesn't matter which route you take. If you want to read it, you want to have somebody else read it to you, you want to put it on an audio book, but just be taking in God's word. Find a place to read the letters that God has written to you. That's step one, read it. The second step, I would say, is to meditate upon it. Meditate upon it. And there are, there are several verses to back this up. In Joshua chapter 1, 8, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The idea of meditation. Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2, actually 1 through 4. Say, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying when we meditate on the word of God, we put down roots and we cannot be blown away. There's a, there's a rootedness and a foundation in this life. In Philippians chapter four, verse eight, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we talk about meditation as a second step, so the first step is intake, reading, listening, hearing the word of God, right? The second one is meditation. We're not talking about Eastern meditation. We're not talking about mysticism. Now, the difference between biblical meditation, we just looked at a couple of texts that emphasize, the difference is that Eastern meditation has to do with emptying your mind of everything, emptying your mind of everything. The Bible never calls us to do that. The Bible never calls us to, you know, sort of evacuate our heart and mind and leave it empty. When we talk about biblical meditation, we're talking about centering ourselves on the person of God and on what he has said. Centering ourselves on that, clearing out any distraction and allowing it to, to pervade our thoughts, to, to hear it and to chew on it and to stir with it. Allow God's spirit to speak to us afresh through his word. So when we talk about listening, we're not only talking about listening to what God has said, past tense, in his word, but we're talking about listening to what God says through his word. What God has said and what he says. By the way, just as a side note, what he says and what he said will never contradict each other. What he said and what he says will never contradict. So that's one way to check it. If you're, if you're listening and meditating upon God's word and you feel like God has called you to do violence to somebody else or to be selfish or to be cruel or to be hateful, guess what? That isn't the voice of God and you can throw it out. But we have to listen both to what God has said and what God says. His word is living and active. So first step is read it or take it in. Second step is to meditate upon it. The third step, I would say, is to study it. To study it. And there are all kinds of resources and tools. These days, uh, you know, there are commentaries. Here at this church, we've got inductive studies. We've got men's studies and women's studies. We've got student groups. We've got uh, core groups. There's all kinds of adult fellowships, discussion groups. There's all kinds of places to study what you've heard and what you've meditated upon. And I think this sequence is important. That's why we give you the text of what we're going to be studying a little bit early so that you can, you can read it and meditate upon it before we study it together. But the idea of studying, what is that for? Well, it's so that I can check my biases, right? 
It's so that I can check the places where I may be misinformed. It's so that I can, I can say, you know, this is what this text appears to mean to me, but I want to hear what you think about this text. What have you learned about this text? Why? Because even as a pastor of a church, I can get it wrong. I'm a human being, right? There are places where my opinions and my background and my experience will, will temper my interpretation of certain texts. And I want to hear what other people have to say so that I can understand what's there, right? So that I can understand what's there. There's an importance of studying it to check my biases, look for my blind spots, recognize where I've been misinformed. This isn't about finding an expert, by the way. Listening and studying and discussing and processing with other believers is not about finding an expert. It's mostly about recognizing that I'm not an expert. And I don't just mean that for me. I mean that for all of us. That checking with other people and digging into a commentary or a Bible study, what that does is it helps us understand that none of us are experts. Not even the experts are experts. Some of those people get it wrong because you know what? They're humans too, right? So it's about recognizing that we, we can process this together in community. Listening to God. Remember I said earlier, God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit within us. He speaks to us through his circumstances. He also speaks to us through one another. And one of, that hap- one of the ways that happens is in our study of God's word corporately. As we process it together. As we, as we compare what God is saying to us to what he has said to other people. So we study it's also important to recognize that you can study God's word on your own. That most of the time when you study God's word, it's pretty simple and you'll, you'll get it right, right out of the gate, right? It doesn't require, uh, you know, f- fancy degrees. It, it is the kind of thing that can be processed by you in community with other people as well. So we read it or take it in. We meditate upon it. We study it. And then I would say, fourthly, there's the process of memorizing it, memorizing it. And that just means that we're not always having to come back to the Bible, but we have it in our heart. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Deuteronomy 11.18, God says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. What's, what's it advocating here? It's advocating that, that we put it inside us, that we take God's word and we, and we internalize it, that we memorize it. There is value in our lives in an ongoing way to be able to carry God's word with us wherever we go. And the more we know God's word, the more it will inform every aspect of our lives. The more of it we know, the more it can inform every aspect of our lives. Because you might not always have your Bible with you. You might not always have your phone app. You might not always have your audio book. But the word of God that you have memorized can continue to be a light for your path and your interactions with others. It can draw you to worship, to Christ-likeness, and to increase your witness, even when you're not holding that physical book. So we take it in, we meditate upon it, we study it with other people, we memorize it. And then lastly, and we see this kind of in the Deuteronomy passage here too, I would say the last step is to write it. To write it. And I don't necessarily just mean writing out John 3.16 or 1 Timothy 4 or whatever. I mean write Write out what God has said to you through his word. That, that's, that's the idea of journaling. It's the idea of processing. Maybe that's what you use your social media for. That might be a better use for your social media than what you've been using it for. But find a place where you can write a response. This isn't about being published. 
It's not about selling books. It's not about impressing other people. It's about you being able to process what God has said to you, to process what you have heard and to listen to your own soul speak in response to God, right? So we talked about listening today. There is value in listening to your own soul, not for publication, but to remember what God has said to you. It's why journaling and those kinds of things are important. And it doesn't have to be a written journal. Maybe it's a painting or maybe it's a rug you weave or I don't know. But there needs to be some way in which you can personally reflect upon what you've heard. Those, these are just five simple steps. They're not absolutes. They're not, uh, you know, it's nothing to beat yourself up over. But five things to try, if you will. Take God's word in. Meditate upon it. Chew on it. Stir over it. Study it, right, with others. Memorize it and write in response to it. In closing this morning, I would say uh, there's just an exercise here. We've talked as a teaching team about the fact that it won't be enough to simply lay out what listening to God is, that somehow we have to stir in you a desire to engage in these things. So, so here's a question I would ask you. If you were to think about your life and you were just to sort of evaluate the percentage of time that you listen to particular inputs, right? And if you're, so if you were to divide, like how much time do you spend reading the news? How much time do you spend on social media? How much time do you sit in front of the TV? How much time do you spend uh, interacting with other people? How much time do you spend just out on a walk? You know, what, what, what is the input? And maybe, I mean, I know it's a little bit of a math homework, sorry, but maybe take the time this week to just write out the percentages. You've got a hundred percent of your intake and just kind of look where you're getting most of it. And then as a, as a, as a possibility this week, my suggestion would be as a first step, See if you can't increase the percentage of intake of hearing from God. I think if I were to say, hey, raise your hand if you think God's voice is more important than the voices on Facebook. Raise your hand if you think God's voice is more important than what the news has to say or what your favorite uh, film director has to say or your favorite author. Raise your hand if you think that God's voice is more important than what your friends have to say or even what you yourself think, right, on your own. I think we'd all agree, yeah, it seems like the creator's voice is more important. And yet, if you look at your percentages, most of us are listening to all the other voices, all the other intakes more than we listen to God's. So all I'm suggesting is that between now, maybe and next Sunday, you do whatever it takes to increase the input of God's voice in your life. That can just be a tiny step. If you're not reading God's word at all right now, then what we're talking about is find one time this week to read God's word. And that's sort of a closing thing I would say here. The God of the universe has something to say to you, and that should excite us. The health of your personal relationships are directly related to your ability to listen to them. And the same thing is true in your relationship with God. But what you don't want to walk away from this message today feeling is a sense of shame or guilt or other people's expectations. I want to free you from all that. Turn loose of it. Because this isn't about measuring yourself. It's not about doing what I'm asking you. All I'm saying, is it possible? This is the, the question for us to ask one another. Is it possible to just increase my hearing of the voice of God this week in some way? If I'm reading the Bible every day, maybe I find additional time to meditate upon it. It's about taking steps wherever you're at. Because again, this isn't about mastery. It's about growth. It's about going deeper and wider and longer in the knowledge of God, in our conformity to his image, and in our witness to others. And I think listening is the first practice that we can try out together and just see if we can't move the dial a little bit on how much we hear God's voice rather than all of these other voices. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us not just an understanding or a beginning of an understanding of what it means to listen to you, but God, I pray that you would stir in us an excitement or a, a, a resolve 
to just move the dial, to just go from where we are to something more. We're not talking about going from no jogging to running a marathon. We're talking about going from no jogging to lacing up the shoes and walking around the block. And God, if we've got people in this church that are running marathons when, when, it, comes to, uh, when it comes to their listening to you, God, we pray that you would give them insight in how to change that up and to not become routine or mundane, that you would just help us to move the dial and grow in our listening to you. For the sake of your glory and the good of others, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.